So if you're new with us, I am Ryan. My wife Kate and I uh, get the joy of co- co-pastoring this church together. And um, if, if you are new with us, I just want you to understand, and I want to share this with you. It was like, we, we, when we pray for our mornings and our gatherings together, our prayer is that every single person would have an opportunity to encounter the living presence of God in Jesus. And, and so we will, we will always hold space for worship, for prayer, for response. And, and that's going to, it's going to always be a, a large and probably a larger portion of our gathering times than the teaching time. And I hear you guys, I love it that, um, you know, we, we, we want you to have more time to teach and we, and we and not just me, I mean the teachers. We want the teachers to have more time to teach. This is not like, how do I compliment myself in front of everyone? All these people coming up to me saying, I wish I could have more time for you to teach. No, I just want you to understand. I just want you to understand the way we craft these gathering times is to allow for presence, to allow for worship, to allow for the space to be held for him to encounter you because I can teach you and teach you and teach you, but in the, for that teaching and the word to take fruit is a personal encounter with the living God in the form and person of Jesus who wants to make himself known to you, not just through words, but wants to make himself known to you through miracles, wants to make himself known to you through revelation, prophetic words, through prayer. There is, this is a place for us to hold space for that. So this is always going to be a value. There's always going to be a value. If you come to Living Waters, there's some things you can expect. We're going to have a lot of time for worship, and then the teaching is going to be uh, rushed sometimes. <laughs> and that's okay. I've been here for 20 years, planning on being here for 20 more. i got a lot of things to say but I'm not going to try to say them all at once. And I know the temptation is, but I have a heart for teaching. I'm a teacher. It's one of my primary gifts. And so as a part of Living Waters, you're always going to be taught. There's always going to be content. It just, it might come through Sunday morning, but I promise you there's also going to be a ton of other ways that we are continuing to disciple and teach and get the word out there. But we want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, but we also want to be transformed by beholding his glory. And so those are two things that scripture talks about. And so we want to find that balance and that tension point for both. Um, I just need you to know up front that uh, that's how it's going to be. And it's okay. And we, we love it. So, so, so Acts, um, we're, we're in Acts 6. And um, last week we went through a few of the verses, a few of the entry, or the first part of the, of the book. And... Um, they were encountering a problem in the early church where the disciples, the leaders of the church, were being pulled by in a hundred different directions, and they were trying to take care of everything. They were receiving lots and lots of donations, and then they were doling that out to people. And what began to happen is that a certain segment, the, the, there's two groups of Jews who had come to know Jesus and were following the way of Jesus, and one were those who had remained true to their original culture, and those were other, there were others who had been more open to the Roman culture, the Greek culture, and so those two groups, the airport, um, it's, it's over there, I don't know, it's, it's fine, they're fine, uh, 
So you have these two groups of people who before Jesus would have been divided. Some would have said, you're turning to a different culture. You're not maintaining in, in this and that. And then as they came to know Jesus, that division main, continued. And so what was happening is that one of the groups was getting taken really well taken care of and then the other group wasn't getting well taken care of. And so that, that was brought before the disciples. And what they decided to do was to empower those who needed a voice and to give leadership and authority to those who were underrepresented. And in doing so, one of the prominent leaders of the New Testament came to, showed up in the story, and that is Stephen. And we want to talk about Stephen over the next few weeks. Chapter 6 and chapter 7 covers Stephen and his ministry and his life. And it's extremely short, and you'll see why. But I believe that Stephen was being set up to be a Paul in, in the New Testament movement, in the church, and that he was rising into an anointing, a teaching gift, a, a, a clarity of being able to speak and proclaim the gospel, understanding the Old Testament. Stephen had a, a gift, and it was cut short because of circumstances that we'll be looking at over the next couple weeks. But that was, that's what brings us in. And I love that the way that the early church handled this division that was taking place uh, and enabled them to come together in a season that could have divided them and fragmented them, that the Spirit of God gave them discernment and clarity and wisdom in a way that empowered the right people, brought the right people into leadership and to the table to be able to come into more unity instead of what could have been a fragmenting time over these different, different uh, re relational things that were going on. And so that brings us to all the way up to verse 6. And so... They, the, the people gathered together. They nominated these, lead, these seven leaders. The people came back together and we said, we, we're, we're in. We love this solution. Everybody was back into alignment, which is what marks so much of the early chapters of Acts. If you read the early chapters of Acts and just circle the word together and circle the word in unity and you'll see that so much of what was happening wasn't simply an outpouring of God. It was the way that they steward their, stewarded their unity that was able to maintain this beautiful move of God that was happening. And so uh, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so as a result of these changes where the disciples, the, the apostles were saying, we can't do all, we can't do everything, they began to focus on the Acts 1-8, that, that they would testify and they would model and demonstrate the power of God and they would be witnesses for Jesus. And as they continued to do that, this is what happened. The word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem had increased rapidly. So here we have another, another opportunity to see this this cycle through acts of unity, bringing about a, a, an expansion of the word and people joining the way of Jesus. And so the word spread, a number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And so this would have been the Sadducees. You can look this up. It's, it's interesting, but I'll, I'll, I'll boil it down by saying this. They began to, when they were back on assignment, when the when the apostles, those, the, the original disciples, when they were back on assignment, the gospel spread even to those who were directly opposing them. I want that to be a word of encouragement to you, that when you are operating in your anointing on assignment, that even those who are enemies to you right now or in direct opposition to you right now are going to be open to the spread of Jesus and the word of God to their lives. It is those that oppose us. It is those that, that paint themselves in that place of against us that I believe are the ones that are often the target that the Holy Spirit is asking 
asking us to pray for them, to contend for them, and to be in our anointing, our assignment, and to go after people who wouldn't go after them being maybe the wrong turn of phrase, but to pursue the hearts and minds that God would put before us of people who might today be standing in opposition of you. But that's what happens. When the gospel goes forth, it doesn't create us versus them. It creates this place of the word to spread all throughout culture, even to those who were most directly opposed to the early church. Now, Stephen, now, as that spreads, just to make a point of of historical, contextual um, information here. As that spread to the Sadducees, as that spread to the priests, um, as the disciples were freed up to move in their assignment, what this was doing, it was putting them into direct line with that opposition that we we're going to see of Paul. Paul is about to enter into the story of the book of Acts. And so while there is great favor and great growth of the gospel, it is also bringing them into the crosshairs of this continued opposition in, in the form of Paul, uh, as we'll see as we, as we move through Acts. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from the members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called. This was Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. So great favor, great spread, great opposition. And Stephen is operating in his grace and in his power, and he isn't just saying the words, but he is performing signs and miracles that confirm that he is a witness to Jesus, for Jesus, through, through signs and wonders that confirm that what he's saying is true, but he's also able to express to them and argue with them about the gospel, about the, about the word, and about the history of their people. So, um, but they could not, and they began to argue with Stephen, verse 10, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. How often when we face opposition do we go into our places of frustration, judgment, anger, bitterness, fear? We go into the, the spirit of those things. We go into our into ourselves, and when we respond out of that, there's not a place for the Spirit to be able to anoint that, to be able to use that, and to be able to turn the tide of of culture or of people around us whose hearts need to be reached. He's not able to use that, but when we respond in the Spirit, when we put ourselves in every situation, Every situation that you encounter, God, what is your heart for this person in front of me? What is the response that should come out of my mouth? This is from the most intimate relationships that you have to the, to the day-to-day encounters that you have with people. If, if people frustrate us and we use that frustration as an excuse to meet them in the same spirit that they're meeting us, how is God going to bless that and honor that and use that to open their eyes to the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing? But when we remain in him, Jesus, what are you doing right now? What are you saying right now? What is my response to be right now? And I, and I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but a lot of times he's not gonna justify the response that you want to give. I'm sorry. Every once in a while he might, and you're like, is there an anointing and assignment on that? All right, let's do this. This is my moment. Most of the time that's not how it's gonna be. Because he's up to something greater than just proving someone wrong who is in opposition to us. So, but they couldn't stand against the wisdom and the spirit uh, that the spirit gave him as he spoke. 
Um, one of their synagogues that mentions this is from Cilicia, which, is making it, which makes it likely that Saul, who was from Tarsus, would have been one of the ones who they had sent out to argue with Stephen. So pay attention to this. This is a beautiful picture that God is beginning to paint. The Spirit is beginning to paint as we unlock some of the book of Acts. So imagine Stephen standing in his full anointing and the assignment of saying, you serve, but you're also out there doing signs and wonders and, and speaking truth. And that no one in any of these synagogues in any of these places can stand up to his wisdom that the Spirit was giving to him, including Paul who we know is brilliant, right? He was the one who was the A-plus student, the one that they would have said, hey, Paul, we got this guy for you to spar with. Go talk to him and go show him, you know, talk to him about the law and talk to him about Moses and talk to him about the, the covenant and talk to him about the promised land and all the things that God's done. Show him that Jesus isn't the Messiah. And Stephen, imagine Stephen and Paul standing up in face-to-face -face confrontation talking about Jesus and Paul having his ears and heart closed to it but something taking place between them. I love to imagine that. I love, I'm not trying to add to scripture, so don't, don't throw stones at me. But I, but I think when you look at it historically and you understand that what it's saying, the reason that it's, that it's adding in the locations is so that we can begin to connect those dots of who is Stephen interacting with? Paul. He's interacting with Paul. So, very likely. Um, okay, so one of the reasons that we could say it's even possible, and I'm, I'm trying not to draw too much from this, but Paul, if he is always trying to stand up to Stephen and he's getting his, uh, his butt handed back to him in a <laughs> theological debate, you might understand some of his zeal and some of his frustration towards why he would persecute the church with such, um, such ferocity. So next week I'll talk a little bit more about that and, and there's a really, I think there's an encouragement in there for us, but we're gonna move on to verse 11. Then they secretly persuaded, these are the, the, from the courts of the freedmen or the temple of the freedmen. They secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God and the, and the, the old covenant punishment for, for speaking blasphemy would have been stoning. So they're accusing him of something that carried with it a death, a death sentence. Um, so they stirred up the people. And this is similar when Jesus began to really, really get after people and really began to get in trouble. It was because he was talking about the destruction of the temple, destroyed in three days, I'll rebuild it. These are things he starts talking about, confronting Moses. He's accused of, uh, of not following Moses. These are the things, these are similar things to what, what got Jesus into so much trouble. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law and they seized Stephen and they brought him before the Sanhedrin. So this was the ruling, the ruling council. Um, they produced false witness who testified, witnesses who testified. This guy, this fellow, he never stopped speaking against the holy place, the temple, and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses has, has handed down to us. So this is one of the first places in Scripture, in Acts, where you now see it's not just the, the temple guards or the priests who are bringing um, Peter and John before them to be put on trial. This is the people who got stirred up and now the people seizing Stephen and bringing him before him and then accusing him of preaching exactly what Jesus preached. And so he's gonna be like, did you do this? Well, yeah, this is, this is what I preached. Why? Because he's, he's literally preaching Matthew 24. 
this is. If you look back at Matthew 24, we hit on it all the time here at Living Waters. It's one of our core chapters that we understand um, Scripture through. But this is what Stephen is teaching, is the same thing that Jesus said would happen in, in Matthew 24. So he had caught the heart of Jesus that said, we're not going to have to worship at a temple we're going to be able to worship him in spirit and in truth wherever we are. And if the temple is destroyed and if, if, the, if the law is, is fulfilled and the prophets are fulfilled and he, and he does away and he's done away with this covenant, we no longer need this because we can worship Jesus. We can worship God wherever we are. This is the message that he's proclaiming, which, of course, flies in the face of the organized religious structure that wants to control people and wants to say, you can only come into relationship with God through us by following our rules, giving your finances through this place, coming and doing your, your trips and your journeys to joining us and making your sacrifices. And Stephen is saying, all of that, Jesus did away with all of that, it's no more. And they hear him saying that. I, which is funny because they're like, they had to get false witnesses. And I'm like, they didn't have to get false witnesses. They just had to get people that would be willing to testify to say what he was actually saying because that's what he would have been preaching. John 4, Matthew 24. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin, they looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And so they looked over at Stephen in his place of accusation and they saw complete tranquility and peace and connection to the presence of God. And there he stood before this before this. this death sentence if he is, if they find him guilty and he has peace and tranquility and connected to God and connection to God to the point that they mention it in the story as something that marked this moment. And I think that's so powerful as a place that shows us where Stephen was and how connected he was to the Lord in the moment of greatest maybe fear or doubt or I wonder what's gonna happen to me next Instead of going to all those places, he stood in peace. So one of the things that we have, the reason we're studying Acts and the reason that we're studying it so slowly is because we've said this before. We believe that coming out of this last season, these last 18 months, that we are in a place, in a season where God is doing a new and radical thing in the churches, in cultures. There's stuff that is shifting around us that is too great for us to even be able to perceive. And if I, I find a lot of parallels to the early church and to where we are right now. And so we want to be in this study so that we can be preparing ourselves and continually ready to function. Acts is not a historical book. It is a book that is showing us how we too can live in a constant outflow of the presence of God, of the spirit of God upon our lives so that everywhere we go, we are bringing transformation and that we are a transformational community within a larger city and a larger region and that the places that are centering on Jesus are gonna be transformational communities in these next five and 10 years because things have shifted dramatically and they will never be the same. And in our preparation is not to get so focused on what's happening out there. It's to get focused on the author, the perfecter of our faith and saying, how then should we respond to these changes that have taken place? And so the, the theme that we have is transformational community. In the study of the book of Acts, we want to be transformational community. So how can we, as we wrap up these, this, uh, this chapter of Acts, there's a few things that I want to pull out of here that I believe speak to us in encouragement of how we can function as transformational communities. From the early church, we can learn this. He has enough for us. 
He has enough for us if we will remember to live in the overflow and out of generosity. When the early church began to doubt that there was enough and they started to live with a scarcity mindset, they started to pull in. If you remember, this was last week's message and we talked more about this last week. But this is the people who were beginning to withhold from others. Why? Because they began to believe that there is not going to be enough. And what happens when we feel threatened, when we feel like there's not enough, when we feel like there is scarcity, we will pull in and we will only take care of those who are closest to us. We'll say, I take care of myself. I take care of my family. I take care of these people only. But if we, and we begin to live like that, what we do is we start to create an exclusive community that's holding and is afraid to live in generosity because we're looking and saying, what if there's not enough? What if we come up short? But what the Holy Spirit is asking us to do is saying, as I have poured out upon you, as I've poured out upon this early church, I want you to live in that kind of generosity. Scarcity causes you to pull back in fear and to withhold. And before we know it, we're gonna start deciding who do we give, who do we pour out into, and who do we withhold from. But what God is asking us to do is say, just pour it out. And I'm not talking, talking only about physical uh, stuff. I'm not talking about only resources, but it is that as well, that we believe believe that God, you are generous and you have more than enough if we will continue to live in generosity. When they stopped living in generosity, that's when they got themselves in trouble. He has enough for us. And so when we have that place of suspicion, it leads us to withholding, it leads us to division, it leads us to tension, and we don't want any of that to mark the forward journey into 21, 22, 23. So I almost forgot how to count there. Wow. We don't want that fear and that lack to mark us. What if there isn't enough? There will be enough. The only way we can discover it is when we live in supernatural generosity. He has solutions for us. He has enough for us if we will live in generosity. He has solutions for us if we will live in creativity. Last week we talked about this as well, that the Spirit of God gave them supernatural solutions to the problem that they had. And it was creative, it was outside the box, and it was different than what they expected. It was the opportunity for the leaders to give away to people and say, what is God saying to you? What is he showing you? Go and do those things. Be creative in the way that you live and function. And so for us, I would encourage us, if we're gonna be a transformational community led by the Spirit of God, he is gonna show you solutions. He is gonna show you answers. He is gonna show you pathways. It's gonna take a yes in your heart to creativity that means breaking down some of the things that says in you, this is the way we've always done it. This is the way that we should always do it. This is how it works. This is how it's always going to work. Well, I am here to tell you that we have an entirely different canvas before us and it's not gonna take the creativity of Kate and I and our team. It's gonna take you saying, God, show me creative ways to reach the lost, to comfort the broken, to bring sight and bring hope to those that are dealing in, that are, that are struggling in darkness. He is going to show you. He is going to show you pathways and processes that are different than what would have worked two years ago, five years ago, or 10 years ago. There is nothing wrong with the way God worked before. When it becomes wrong is when we make an idol out of it and we transfer it into what is now and it's not going to work. He has a new thing for you and new ways for you to move out and that's, how, that's what's gonna create in us the opportunity to be a transformational community. He has solutions for us if we will live in creativity. 
We look around culture. We look at the division. We look at the fights. We look at all the people who are, who are turning their back on each other. We look at all of the things that are geared towards spinning us away from unity, from connectedness, and from community. What are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? And I don't mean that to just put it on you. What I'm saying is I see creativity that could be unleashed in so many ways that would bring back to the heart, that would bring people back to the heart of God in the midst of this giant change that's happening within culture and around us right now. You carry supernatural ideas and solutions and processes. Release them and watch what happens. He has solutions if we live in creativity. With God, every problem is an opportunity. And we know that, but we want that to be the reality. When we disconnect from God's heart and from God's perspective, that's the moment that we stop bringing solutions. When we start looking to the, this world's solutions, we begin to disconnect from God, and that's not what he has for us. God is always up to something. Kate and I have a joke. We say this like, it's always something. Do any of you, do any of you say that? Like, I think it was a TikTok originally. It's always something. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was a YouTube. But it's always something, right? You can look around your life and you can say it's always something. And I don't say this to diminish the reality of the things that you're walking through. But if we could change that, that mindset, it's always something, and just change it to this phrase, God is always up to something. Yeah, it's always something, Eeyore. But God is up. He is always up to something. We need the, the Eeyore spirit to be redeemed. Then we go, oh man, what's next? What is coming down the pike next? Many of us are living, we've been traumatized, we've been hit hard, hit hard, hit hard, and we're living with our eyes towards the what is the negative thing that's coming next instead of the thing that says, what is the God of redemption doing next? What is he bringing that he can redeem? And we have... We have far too many Eeyores, bless you all, and the Eeyore that exists within me. But I need that Eeyore brought before God and before Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, could you talk to Eeyore here? Could you just have a chat with him? We got, you guys remember the, the, the spies that went into the promised land? Another thing that we love to, to mention around here because we believe that there's so many parallels the spies that went into the promised land for the people and they came back and they all, 10 of them said, we can't do it, we can't do it, we can't do it, we can't do it. We'll never take that promised land. We'll never take that promised land. And two of them said, wait a minute, if God told us to go, if God is for us, if God is with us, we can conquer. We can take the promises that God has for us. And I believe this is not a rebuke. It's just gonna sound exactly like one. So don't take it that way, but take it that way. There's too many Christians that are exhibiting the behavior of the 10 spies that are looking at culture, looking at politics, looking at COVID, looking at uh, finances, looking at the president, looking at, all, looking at what's going on around the world and are exhibiting the behavior that to me reflects much more what God was not pleased with, which was the 10 spies who came back and said, we can't, we will lose, we will be defeated, we are going to be overrun, there's nothing we can do to stop it, it's already too late, it's a slippery slope. <laughs> look, let's not be found in the company of the 10 spies when we look at culture, 
when we look at the things that are going on. Let's not, let's not pair our voice with those who wanna tell us that it can't be done or that it's too late for God or we don't have enough of this or enough of that. Let's be like the two that look and say, wait a minute, as long as God is with us, as long as God is for us, who can be against us? Let's go into the, this world at this time that you are born, you are here, you don't get a pass, you don't get to wash your hands of it and say, oh man, that generation before me screwed it up, so I'm out, or the generation behind me is screwing it up, so I'm out. You don't get that pass. You're a spy, and you look with God's eyes at the things that are happening around us today, and you're going to have a completely different response than if you're looking through physical eyes. And if you're just looking at circumstances and situations, it's going to be easy to get onto the Facebooks. It's going to be easy to get onto the relationships that you're in and in the platforms that you're given and to say, it's hopeless. This is all stupid. What's even the point? But what if we used our platforms and our voices and our opportunities to say, wait, I've seen what God can do. He will do it again. He will continue to do it. He is at work. He is always up to something. Yes, it's always something. Yes, there will always be something. But God is always up to something. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, so then this. He has, he has, um, he has enough for us if we will live in generosity. He has solutions for us if we will live in creativity. And he has assignments for us if we will live in peace on purpose. So if you recall the disciples, the immediate needs of trying to solve everything was keeping them from doing the very things that they were positioned to do. And, and when you look up the... the the Greek of the weight on tables and that word and the way they use it, it means, it literally means that they're raising dust, that they're in such a hurry. They're, if you can imagine them running around, raising up dust because they're trying, I gotta help this person, I gotta help this person, I gotta do this thing, I gotta do this thing. And in their hurry and in their rush, they were not carrying peace, they were not living in peace and that brought them off of their purpose. So there's nothing wrong with serving, there's nothing wrong with waiting on tables. But when we are hurrying at everything, are we connecting to God? No, you are not. If you are hurried, you're harried. If you're, is that a word? Yeah, yeah. Someone's like, I, I am, I just, I shaved this morning. If you're hurrying at everything, are you connected? And when you try to do it all for God, I guarantee you, you are doing very little with God. When you try to do it all for God, there's a good chance that you are doing very little with God. And, but if, if we can say, wait, I don't have to do everything. I want to live in peace. I want to live on purpose. And that's what he has for us. He has assignments for us if we will live in peace, if we will live on purpose. What are the things, just being honest, what are the things that, you allowing, that you're allowing into your life to have access to your ears, to have access to your thought life, to have access to your heart? What are the things that you're allowing to have access in those places that are disconnecting you from God and are getting you spun up and spun out instead of connected into purpose and peace that he has for you and the assignments that he has for your life? Next week, we're gonna talk a little bit more about Stephen because the, beautiful, the beauty of this, of this book is the story unfolding of how the gospel goes out. And then we've picked up this, this 
this journey with Stephen, and, it, and I wish it was longer. I believe that God had a, a purpose for Stephen that could have lasted a lot longer than it did, and I want to share with you. I'm excited about next week's message as we focus a little bit more on Stephen, but we can learn some things from Stephen as well. Would you guys stand with me? And so I'm going to invite you back next week to hear more in Acts 7 about Stephen and about his life. But what God put on my heart to do this morning is just to pray over you. We are, we are. That was me. I just got nervous and I started, I was getting my nervous twitch. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not nervous. Much. We are beginning to transition to Paul in the, in the story of Acts. And the radical testimony that is his life. And so what I want to do is, I, and I felt this on my heart, is I just wanted to take some of his prayers that he wrote and paraphrase them and pray them over you this morning as we walk out of this place. So if you would do me a favor, I'm just going to read scripture over you as we close out. And these are, this is the prayer of Paul who has walked the journey that you're walking right now of saying culture is going crazy, religion is out of control, what is going on? I don't know how to respond. I don't know what God is doing. That Paul has been through all of those moments and all of those places with us. And this would be his prayer and his heart over you. If you want to just close your eyes or posture yourself to receive this, I want you to hear this as we walk out of this place. We ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light." For he has rescued you from the dominion of darkness and he has brought you into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom you have redemption and the forgiveness of your sins. And I pray that out of the, his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled that you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. That is what he has for us. Amen? Amen. Awesome. Love you guys. Have a great Sunday. Thank you for hanging out with us today.